Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is going to be a multi-part uh, program entitled CT of the GI Tract Syndromes and Acute Pathologies. Now, before I get started, one thing I did want to make uh, a comment about is contrast. Lots of articles, this article in emergency radiology, talking about the routine use of oral contrast not being necessary. The radiologists in this article don't understand that you need to do studies very quickly, that you really don't need contrast at all. Well, I will agree you don't need positive oral contrast in many cases in the ER setting. Water is a wonderful contrast agent as long as you get IV contrast. And I will tell you that using water and IV contrast, even if you use dilute contrast with IV, as long as you're efficient, there really is no delay. And this is just one of those things which you have to fight because you want to make certain you do the study correctly. In this era of cost-effectiveness, in this era of decreasing radiation dose, you want to do the study once and do it correctly. There have been articles like this one, eliminating routine oral contrast use for CT in the ED may decrease length of stay without compromise in quality, or in this article, patients with a body mass index greater than 25 presenting to the ED with acute abdominal pain. CT exams can be acquired without oral contrast, without compromising efficiency. And this article just published. Or this article, abdominal CT without the use of oral contrast is accurate to allow for appropriate decision making. Further assessment may be appropriate to see this is the case. I think the point is you need to have a very good defined system in the ER, and particularly as we use the CT in more critical cases in the ER setting, particularly with CT angiography, you need to have a very good scheme. So our scheme, again, decisions as to contrast, oral contrast, we will use and we'll explain why when you're worrying about a perforation this case, you see the patient had pneumoperitoneum. You want to know why. You give positive contrast, and it's easy to see the duodenal also with perforation. Be very hard to see it. You might surmise there must be something present without the presence of positive contrast. So again, we want to improve accuracy. Again, I never want to use speed as a reason for doing a study poorly. Water is the way we will go in most of these cases. You know that in things like Crohn's disease, for example, in this case, water with IV contrast is a great study. I will not use water only if I can't give IV. So in this case, we also make the point that we can see thickening of the bowel on the axial imaging and the fiber fatty proliferation of the mesentery. But when you put things in the coronal plane, you get a much better look at the area of stricture and inflammation and narrowing. And when you put that into the 3D map, you really see the vasa recta. So one of the things also to enforce upon us all is that axial imaging is not enough. One of the reasons you paid a lot of money for your scanner is you want to be able to get really good vascular mapping. And it's not just vascular mapping in rule-out aortic aneurysm or rule-out dissection. It's in all of these cases. Now, you also can use volumen. Volumen was very popular a while back. Some people still use it. It's expensive. There's some issues with patient's tolerance, and we rarely find it to be helpful, and we rarely use it. Now, in terms of doing the IV contrast portion of the exam, 
often we will do dual phase imaging but again it's going to depend on the specific application we essentially never do non-contrast and we rarely if ever do delayed phase regardless of your scanner 64 or better you want to make sure you have the right protocols thin section CT sub a millimeter we use 0.75 millimeters every 0.5 works very nicely uh, whether it's arterial phase or venous phase imaging the importance of thin sections with close spacing cannot be overemphasized and again as we commented before in our mind it's a consequence of optimization to make certain that we do everything from the axials to the coronal and sagittals or the multiplanars and the 3D imaging and depending on the scenario whether we need curved planar reconstructions or whether we're just doing MIP or volumes will be a little bit dependent on the individual situation. Now again just to emphasize the point about information from a data set I always like to show this case of Crohn's actually we see thickened bowel submucosal edema enhancement coronally we can show the extent of that involvement far more with MIP you better understand the vascularity and the interface of bowel to vessel and then when you go to volume rendering you really understand the thickening the prominent vasorecta the entire process so again information gain increases with the same radiation dose the same cost and the same contrast now if we look at specific things like small bowel obstruction CTA the whole idea about looking at the bowel looking for transitions looking for cause CTA is an incredibly good study article by Paulson and Thompson recently is a very good article on the topic of small bowel obstruction uh, numbers 12 to 16 percent of hospital admissions for abdominal pain uh, ruling out small bowel obstruction mortality of small bowel obstruction raises from 2 to 8 percent and can be as high as 25 percent if ischemia is present small bowel obstruction is one of the things that delay in diagnosis truly increases morbidity and mortality CT has been shown to be the single best modality for looking at bowel obstruction with a sensitivity and specificity of over 95 percent now we know there are a number of causes of adhesions these days adhesions is the most common cause of small bowel obstruction now we used to think that perhaps we'd have less adhesions with laparoscopic surgery I think with multiple trocars you may end up with more but when you talk about small bowel obstruction 75% of cases are adhesions 10% external hernias and 5% neoplasms so when I'm looking at a case of small bowel obstruction or suspected small bowel obstruction questions does a patient have small bowel obstruction or is there abdominal symptoms related to something else if they have a small bowel obstruction is it partial or complete and can we determine its cause and can we determine how we need to manage the patient based on the cause of obstruction if surgery is delayed more than a day mortality increases from 1 to 8 percent to 25 percent and with strangulation mortality could be a hundred percent so you really need to know what you're dealing with and the aggressiveness when you speak to the patient's referring clinicians now in looking at the small bowel there are a number of things we'll look at we talk about wall thickening we talk about things like wall enhancement which can be increased or decreased depending on the scenario some things like ischemia can have either depending on how early or the cause of ischemia 
We look for bowel abnormally positioned in hernias or whether there's malrotation. We look for inflamed or edematous mesenteric fat. We like to say that a bowel loop over 2.5 centimeters is dilated. We talk about something called the feces sign, which is where you have intestinal contents uh, followed down to a point of transition. It's a very good way of seeing a transition point. I'll show you that in a moment. We talk about bowel wall thickening and we talk about transition. Again, transition becomes so important to us because we're looking at transitions because at transition points, we need to find the cause of that transition, obstructed or not obstructed, tumor, inflammatory, what the heck is going on? Now, I mentioned the feces sign, nice example, coronal view. Coronal is the easiest way to follow bowel obstruction axials it's hard you're kind of going up and down trying to navigate the field here you can see we see this dilated proximal bowel then there's a loop which looks like it has a stool within it and that's undigested food but you follow that toward the right lower quadrant and you can see there's a transition point right there very, very clear-cut transition point. There's nothing to do with the mesenteric vessels. This is a transition due to adhesions. Very easy to see. Another example. Uh, what about this case? You're looking at the bowel in the left upper quadrant. It's just not enhancing the way it should. And there's fluid around the bowel. And the bowel is distended and there's mass effect. And then when you take that axial and you go to coronal, you can see that there's mesenteric vessels kind of pushing in there. You can see that bowel is dilated, the ascites is focal, there's inflammation, you go back, look again, and you realize you're dealing with an internal hernia. Very easy to see that and look at the wall thickening. So this patient has an internal hernia that needs to be reduced or the patient will infarct their bowel. Now, when we talk about closed-loop obstructions, in this regard. It could be due to adhesive bands, as I showed you, or it can be hernias, be it internal or external. It can lead to a volvulus when you have obstruction, and it can lead to impairment of venous outflow following arterial ischemia. When you're looking for closed-loop obstructions, you look for a C or U-shaped uh, distended bowel with the mesenteric vessels converging toward the site of obstruction. The site of obstruction usually is clear on the multiplanar views. And here's such a nice example. Look at the dilated loops of small bowel. And when you look carefully, the dilatation is really in the region of the lesser sac. If you look at it in real time, and I think the real time imaging becomes very important because that's how you need to do things. But here I'm showing you following the loops of bowel downward. There's a whole bunch of bowel in the wrong place in the lesser sac. It's an internal hernia. See the bowel is dilated. The mesenteric vessels are prominent, but the bowel is not enhancing as it should. That's going to be ischemic bowel. And then you look at that same patient in the coronal view, and you can see very nicely here that as you slide through the data set, you see those bowel loops that kind of have gone into a hernia into the lesser sac. You can see their lack of enhancement. And you can see this very nicely as well on the sagittal imaging, which almost is the most ideal in this case, because you can see the space between stomach and the, the vessels, and you can see the bowel herniating in, causing mass effect and twisting upon itself. And when you look carefully at these two views, for example, you can see the engorged mesenteric vessels due to this internal obstruction, beautifully seen there or on the 3D images. Just a spectacular example of ischemic bowel and the need to reduce that patient's hernia, well shown here. 
The idea of following bowel obstruction is shown in this case as well. You follow dilated bowel loops downward to the right inguinal ring and you see a prominent hernia with enhancement. Very nicely shown there. And then if you look at the coronal view, you can see beautifully the transition point, the bowel going into the hernia, the bowel loop coming outside of the hernia, the edema. This is classic for an internal hernia. This needs to be reduced surgically. And in this case, there was no need for bowel to be resected. But if you wait long enough, you will need bowel resected. And here was sort of touch and go. You can see that distal loop of small bowels. So just a very nice example showing you the internal hernia uh, coming through the wall. So it's this really what would be considered an external hernia through a defect. Very, very nicely shown in this example. Now, other things we look at with small bowel, of course, um, and you're looking at changes and we're looking at obstruction is why things are obstructed. And we said there are many, many causes. Here's another example of obstruction. You can very nicely see the fourth portion of duodenum as a transition point. And again, the 3D maps allow us to see a mass in the tail of a pancreas causing obstruction. So again, a key thing with CT is not only finding the obstruction, which it easily can do, but determining the cause of the obstruction, which in this case is very, very nicely shown. And this patient had bad luck presenting with an aggressive tail of the pancreas tumor. These tumors are usually larger, they're more invasive, and in this case, obstructing the patient's duodenum. Now, in terms of applications in the small bowel, one of the most classic is Crohn's disease. Things we look for are mucosal hyperenhancement, wall thickening, mural stratification with prominent vasorecta, and mesenteric findings of stranding and inflammation. You can see very nicely this Crohn's patient, the vasorecta to the patient's cecum being engorged and thickened and inflamed, a very classic finding. Or in this case of Crohn's, you can see that the patient has strictures and dilated loops, and there's an enterolith present in the small bowel, just proximal to the stricture, and the stricture is circled there. So again, it's a matter of following dilated loops of bowel downward in Crohn's, figuring out why they dilated. It could be an internal or external hernia, but more likely it's adhesions, more likely it's an area of stricture formation, and occasionally it'll even be a tumor. Just a very nice example there. And in this case, you can see markedly dilated small bowel in this Crohn's patient, and you follow it downward to the distal ilium where this marked thickening, a transition point, and you know this patient needs surgery. This was an interesting case because when you look at the thickening, it looks symmetric, looks like classic Crohn's disease. This patient actually had a carcinoma in situ in an area of Crohn's disease, so it was resected. It's important to recognize that you can easily miss a small bowel tumor in an area of marked inflammation because it's really hidden when the bowel wall is really thickened, it's easy to miss a small tumor. So again, sometimes as in this case, the surgeons might be surprised. Other times you'll see mass effect and there really will not be an issue. In terms of CT enterography, it's cost effective. The only challenge of course is the issue with radiation dose. And even the European Crohn's and Colitis Organization, which is very cognizant of radiation dose, would say it's the right thing to do. When you look at numbers, CT has been shown uh, with more than 80% sensitivity and specificity for detecting small bowel segments affected by Crohn's. And again, a lot of this is due to multiplanar, but a lot of it is also due to 3D imaging. Now, there are other things we need to look at, and as long as I'm looking at the mesentery, 
I need to look at the mesenteric vessels. And one of the things I want to look at is SMA syndrome. And we'll look at the SMA. And we'll look at the celiac and everything in between. And maybe what we should do is take a five-minute break. So let's stop there. And we'll come back and I'll start discussing the SMA syndrome. Thank you very much.